Welcome to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. So, Liz. Yes. I forgot to share something last week about the 80s. Okay. And that is that we went with a group of friends um, a few weekends ago in Chicago to see Earth, Wind & Fire and Lionel Richie. Oh my gosh, they were here. I was going to call my friend and ask if she they wanted to go. They were at the MGM down at Harbor Place, right near the CPAC Hotel. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The C- yeah, the MGM is there, and they do concerts. And it, I saw that, and I really wanted – I was like, oh, I'd love to go. I love Earth, Wind & Fire and Lionel Richie. Um, that would have been – That's pro- was that a good show? I bet it was a great show. It was great. I mean, Earth, Wind & Fire is so ancient. Like, they still have some of the original band members – but they're out there jamming and they've got like their 70s, early 80s, you know, flare on and their, you know, oh, bell bottom pants. And they're still out there jamming, though, and they try to move. It's really cute. Um, but they sounded great. Uh, Lionel Richie is the same. His voice Love is still him. amazing. Um, you know, and it's just such a throwback to the 80s. You know, you can remember slow dancing you know, yeah. with your boyfriend in junior high or so um, it it was great. It was a lot of fun. And I bring that up because uh, this week in 1981, Endless Love was the number one oh. song. Yeah. And he did like a virtual he sang it with, you know, a virtual Diana Ross because, of course, she's no longer with us. But um, it was really good. A lot oh, of fun. That's amazing. What a great show. I love to go. It's it's funny the trajectory of music musicians' fame where they if you get in early you get to see them in a small venue then they get big right and I have a rule I do not like to go to big venues I don't go to like Verizon centers or you know and there's like forty thousand people like I would never well I would never be caught dead at a Taylor Swift show for other reasons but like I would not go to any show that was like that where it's that venue um, but then at, now our people are you know, musicians we like and the music we like now they're back to like smaller venues. So maybe about 10 years ago, I saw so many bands at one of the Indian casinos when I was living at, in San Diego. So I saw the B-52s who I love. And then after I was playing blackjack and Fred Schneider, who's in the B-52s is at my blackjack oh, yeah. table. He was, he was kind of a dick, but I, I, I love him. I, I freaking love Fred Schneider. So I saw, <laughs> I saw Blondie, who was like 60 at the time, and she was just kicking ass. Um, Berlin. I mean, it was great. Sure, they're old, but they still have it. You know, because once you – you're always going to have it, right? You're just going to have it. Right. So um, that, was, that was fantastic, and I'm jealous. Now I wish I went. But also, like, why don't these shows start at noon? I'm – I'm too old. I'm in my 50s, <laughs> right? Like, I can't like, – there was a great – a festival in um california i can't remember the name of it but every single band was one of my favorite and it was like 20 bands all of like 80s punk new wave just all my stuff all the greatest bands but then i'm thinking that's just <laughs> too much for me really grandma you know? it's gonna start at like eight in the morning you know like how am i gonna you know, and then I'm such a type A person. There's obviously more than one stage. So you you aren't going to have 20 bands, one right after the other, like, play. And so then I'm like, well, what's the schedule? I have to plan, like, where who I'm going to see and when. And, you know, and then I just was like, oh, I'm busy. And then I didn't do it. But also it sold out immediately, uh, which is fine. And it feel like paying $5,000 for, like, a VIP ticket. So anyway, um, I'm super glad you shared that. Um, I 
I am and jealous. It, I should really do a better job of getting myself to um, some good music events now. You so should anyway, because, you know, we went and we went with three other couples and we were all talking about how much we all used to love to go to concerts. And I mean, this was at the United Center in Chicago, so it wasn't a small venue and the place was packed. Every seat was sold. In fact, it was oversold, which was good news. And just everyone was dancing, having a great time. And we were saying, God, we don't go to concerts anymore. Yeah. You know, to your point, they start late. I don't want to be around, you know, 30,000 people anymore. Um <laughs> There's no Bon Jovi flying through the audience on a harness yeah. or David Lee Roth or whoever. But, um, yeah, so we were like, wow, that's just – we're getting old. But it, it was super fun. So That's great. If, they just don't if make music like that. It's in your town or coming to your city or town, I highly recommend going. Great plug. All right. So another slow news week, Julie, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> Nothing going on. So we, Bye-bye. What should we talk about first? Because we have so many – things to talk about this week. So what should we do first? Well, I feel like we should kick off with Fannie Willis, um, 41 count racketeering indictment against Donald Trump and 18 of his closest friends, including Rudy Giuliani and Sidney Powell and Mark Meadows and John Eastman and so many people, so many people, you know, but this is like the top villain list of the Democrats and the media, right? They've been just waiting for, Rudy Giuliani and especially John Eastman to get criminally charged for the events of January 6th and pre-January uh, 6th election chicanery. Um, so Fannie Willis, after, um, let's see, two and a half years of investigating Donald Trump, she was elected in late 2020, sworn in January 2021, you know, as the country's recovering from the insurrection and coming to terms with how the guy with the horns and the face paint and the fur almost overthrew the government, if only, right, right, Liz? If only. So close to overthrowing the government with no weapons, mind you. That's how powerful it was. Didn't even need any weapons or anything. I still argue we would be in better hands with Jacob Chansley um, running the government than the people that we have now. So, But that's neither here nor there. So she's been investigating Trump for two and a half years, this newbie Fulton County district attorney. And she laid out the goods, Liz, the other day on Monday. I mean, she she gave the Democrats and the media exactly what they've been wanting, a 98-page indictment, 41 counts, including racketeering. Um, Gave her little press conference almost at midnight because there was, you know, somebody leaked the indictment uh-huh. and took it down. Right. But Reuters, I think, reported on it. And then they had several excuses as to what happened. Oh, it was a fictitious no, one. Or, they didn't just ahead. leak it. They leaked it before the jury had finished its work. So or they voted like, right. They had it. They they already had it done. It's like the jury, the grand jury was like kind of was like a incidental. Right. Just incidental to what was going on. It just it's astonishing. But I mean, they're open. They're just open about it now. And that's kind of what I think that leak was kind of a smear your face in the dog shit moment. That's right. Exactly. So um, but, you know, she's the new rising star. You can tell she said that she's going to try all 19 defendants, including including the former president together, which is so far fetched. What is she even talking about? 
And she wants to try on the next six months, another impossibility considering all the different. I, Mark Meadows, the former chief of staff, has already argued to sever from the local case and claiming he is a federal employee has certain protect protections and this should have been investigated or proceed in federal court in Georgia. So we'll see where that goes. Um, at any rate, the, well, his, the, his, let's just, let's, let's just remind everyone who does, who isn't following this super closely. Mark Meadows is being indicted because he asked for a phone number for a, uh, the head of the Pennsylvania, I think the house, that's what, that's, that's what it, that's it. That's, that is it. He asked for a contact information for the, the head of the Pennsylvania house of representatives. That's it. That, so, I mean, it's bananas. It's just bananas. So I want to people to (laughs) just keep in mind how ridiculous this is. Yes. So we're going to, so we'll, I'm going to um, read a few of what Fannie Willis 161 overt acts, she said, that prove up her racketeering. So Georgia has a very broad version of the federal racketeered um, uh, influence, yeah. corrupt organizations act. So that's federal law that really goes after mobs, et cetera, drug, drug rings, not people who are trying to <laughs> uncover voter fraud. Um, so she has used Georgia's broader state version of that to bring these charges. But the overt acts, first of all, as I did like a cursory review of the 161 acts, probably around half of them have nothing to do with anything that happened in Georgia. So how a local county prosecutor can bring what is essentially a federal multi-state interstate crime ring indictment against 19 people, including the former president. We'll see where this goes. But I just want to read a few of the overt acts and the one that you just referred to. This is act number six. This isn't even like down the list. On or about the 21st day of November 2020, Mark Randall Meadows, who she called Metals in her press conference, sent a text message to U.S. Representative Scott Perry from Pennsylvania and stated, can you send me the number for the speaker and leader of Pennsylvania legislature? POTUS wants to chat with them. This was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. This is what she said. Act number five. On or about the 20th day of November 2020, Donald J. Trump and Mark Meadows met with the majority leader of the Michigan Senate, Michael Shirky, Speaker of the Michigan House of Representatives, Lee Chatfield, and other Michigan legislatures, legislators in the Oval Office at the White House. And Donald J. Trump made false statements concerning fraud in the November 3, 2020 presidential election in Michigan. Rudy Giuliani joined the meeting by telephone the meeting was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. This is yeah. the sort of lunacy <laughs> that she has in her indictment. Right. And that if you're wondering, how is that under the jurisdiction of Georgia? That's a good question. Because <laughs> it's not. Um, certainly the Mark Meadows, like just he's not even talking about a political figure in Georgia. He's talking about a political figure in another state. And I'm certain that Mark Meadows was probably not physically in Georgia when he sent that request. So, right. But he worked in D.C. Yes. Right. He was probably in Washington, D.C. But this is this is what happens when 
you have a system that's so corrupt that this kind of thing, you can get away with doing it. Now, normally, um, somebody who, a lawyer who tried to do this would even get like sanctioned by the bar because what this is just harassment. This is the mark of an incompetent attorney who doesn't know what the law is, but we're playing by different rules now. So anything goes. I mean, she just wanted to do a, a hundred page, hundred page slam book, nastiness to get the headlines and really as a harassment. I mean, it's, it's to harass these people and, that that's it. The process is the punishment. I don't know how she's going to try all these people at once, too. I mean, she's not. Crazy. She's completely talking out of her ass. I mean, she is. She there's no way in how she's going to do it. But it doesn't matter. To your point, the language of the law, the intent of the law, how it should be applied doesn't matter. It doesn't matter in a Democrat county like Fulton County, Georgia. It doesn't matter in a 100 percent Democratic city like Washington, D.C. Doesn't matter in Manhattan. You know, it. It doesn't matter because they can get away with whatever they want. I want to read just a few more, Liz. I did find one act, overt act, that had to do with Georgia. This is now this is pretty compelling stuff. Hold on to your seat. On or about the third day of December 2020, Donald John Trump caused to caused to be tweeted from the Twitter account <laughs> at real Donald Trump. I don't even know what the hell that means. Quote, Georgia hearing now on OANN. Amazing. This was an overt act in furtherance of the conspiracy. I mean, it's pretty. Wow. How, how he, are we going to get he past tweeted that? that something was he tweeted that something was publicly available for people to watch. Right. Like yeah. he's promoting a, a public event. Um, but I guess that's part of the conspiracy well, I mean, when you're involved what? in a, a corrupt organization, racketeering to commit a crime, don't you you always post on Twitter what you're doing? Yeah, I, I mean, the sad thing is that there's jury is is not going to care. I mean, that's, I think, the, the most heartbreaking thing for people who are kind of paying attention to way to the way the system is is playing out is that we want to think that there's safeguards in place from having the government, uh, you know, come after you and harass you with these kinds of things and that there should be some safeguard in it right again like i mentioned why isn't somebody filing a bar complaint against this this ridiculous use of law either she's dumb and doesn't know the law or this is just being used as a weapon and i would think it's probably that she's it's being used as a weapon but it could be both of course so the the does anyone take this seriously? I mean, are the, is there any? Oh, yes. I mean, for sure. What person? No, no, no. I mean, I mean, uh, Americans. I'm not talking about these fuckers. I'm talking about is are there Americans that really think that this is the these? I think there's 91 charges now. He's got between all of the um, right. Michigas going on against him. What is? How many people think that this is a, a good faith like effort? I mean, I don't know. Maybe I'm so biased that I, I I can't get out of myself to see it. But, we, you know, listening to you read off how ridiculous some of these charges are, claiming that, you know, tweeting about a public hearing is part of a conspiracy or asking for a contact information for the head of the Pennsylvania legislature, also part of a conspiracy. I mean, this is this is ridiculous. But I don't know. I mean, I would be very curious to know what percentage of people actually think that this is 
anything other than political prosecution. And really, to be honest, at this point, it's election interference. Um, yes, it definitely is. And when Trump makes that point, he's absolutely right. It is election affer- interference. But uh, so to your point, who really thinks this is legitimate? A third of the country? I mean, yeah, the vo- the Democratic voter base, for sure. Not only do they think it's legit, the ones who realize that DOJ is abusing their power or people like Fannie Willis are abusing their power, they don't care, right? They don't care either. Right, yeah. They align with them. So they don't care what the tactics are. They want Donald Trump, everyone around him, and his voters rounded up and thrown in gulags because they're all mini Marxists, basically. And that's what you do to your political opponents in a third world country political system, also, which we have. I, I also think it's part of the larger plan to, like, basically destroy the the foundations of this country and, like, redo them. You know, we know that. The Democrats right. do not support the First Amendment. I know, I think it was in 2016, Ted Cruz put on the Senate floor, like the First Amendment had a vote and every Democrat voted against it. So this is true. You can look it up. So we already know the Democrats don't like a lot of, they don't like the basic principle behind the founding of America, which is that we are afforded protections against a tyrannical government, which we're seeing right now. And so I think that they, that is part of their effort to erode the protections that the citizens have against a, a, a you know, a tyrannical government. So it's very, dis- it's very disturbing. And, you know, you have these low information jurists, right? They're going to, the jury's going to, that's going to hear this in this court, whatever, whenever these, this court case starts, these are low information people. Um, and you no, know, it's just going to get rubber stamp. Now, there's going to be a very long appeal appellate process. I think with Mark Meadows is the first one to kind of throw down when he is making a motion to remove it, b- b- claiming that there's no jurisdiction. Georgia has no jurisdiction against him. Now that will go up the appeal, appeal chain. Now appellate courts tend to be not as bad as these hacks that are local judges, which we're familiar with. Uh, we're all too familiar with. But ultimately, that's the kind of thing. This is something I could see going to the Supreme Court and not just in Meadows case, but in a lot, on a lot of other issues. So this is the kind of court case that can take years. I mean, I don't know what she's thinking. She's going to take wrap this up before the primaries or something. I don't think that's going to happen. What they want to do, what Fannie Willis is setting up is the same thing that Jack Smith has set up, is that they know there's no way to get these trials underway in the next six, eight months, right? Jack Smith can't get either one of his cases, classified documents or January 6th to trial before the election. It's just impossible no matter what they say. What they want to do is blame Trump for attempting to delay the trials past the election. So, and that's what they've already, are. that's what they're already doing. And that's how the media is reporting it. So Jack Smith, for example, in the classified documents case, Remember, he said, oh, we want a December trial. Then they came out with a superseding indictment, which automatically, in most cases, delays a trial because you're adding defendants to Trump's case, and they added charges against him. So the case was already, what, a month and a half old. Then all of a sudden, oh, we're going to add the superseding indictment. DOJ pulls this all the time. I've seen it happen repeatedly in January 6 cases. So, and here's where the Fannie Willis indictment will in, uh, will impact Jack Smith's January 6th indictment. Jack Smith has um, indicted Trump on four counts 
for January 6th and election attempts to overturn the election, right? Four counts, three conspiracy, one obstruction of an official proceeding. You think Jack Smith is going to let Fannie Willis upstage him on January 6th and election uh, no. interference or overturning the election? You think this DOJ lifer who is a Democrat? Democratic political operative disguised as a federal prosecutor is going to let some newbie, you know, local DA get the goods and get all the attention and all the fanfare while he's sitting there with four lame conspiracy and obstruction counts. There's no way. So I've always suggested he's going to bring a superseding indictment, but now he's got a lot of pressure because he's got six co-conspirators listed in that four count indictment. Five of them are in Fannie Willis's uh, indictment, and that is Rudy Giuliani, Sidney Powell, uh, Jeffrey Clark, Ken Cheeseboro, and um, gosh, I just totally blanked. Anyway, I'll think of it. Um, so now he's got to he's got to bring the goods. He's got to indict those six um, co-conspirators, either a separate indictment. Maybe he indicts three, then he indicts the other three to keep you know death by a thousand cuts, keep the headlines going. But he's going to have to bring bigger charges than an obstruction count that has to do with post Enron tampering with witnesses and evidence, not, oh, Donald J. Trump didn't try to overthrow the country, overthrow the government and stop the county of the, oh, he just interrupted the joint session of Congress, right, Liz? No Democrat in media is going to be happy with that. So the pressure's on Jack Smith now, which is actually just a teeny tiny amusing sidebar to watch these two huge egos clash over who's going to get what on Donald Trump. And I think there are other players in the game because there are other states that are thinking about bringing charges. I know Arizona is wants to get in on the game. And I've read, I don't know if this will happen, but I also read Nevada because that was another place. Like there are, they're working all of their different options in these places where there were, quote, fake electors. So a lot of those states, if they have a Democrat attorney general, and sadly, Nevada does have a Democrat attorney general, and I think so does Arizona, they're, you know, gearing up to get in. And I think that they're just trying to ambush Trump to hopefully damage him um, as a candidate. And the question is, you know, uh, because right now their candidate is Joe Biden. Now, the Republicans are going to try and impeach Joe Biden, which they could do. I we we here at Happy Hour don't support that, but that's and we can talk about that later. But they want to impeach Joe Biden. But Joe Joe Biden still he's not going to be convicted, and he's in by the Senate, so he'll stay. So that's the candidate, and he's a terrible candidate. Things are horrible. No one's happy in this country. All of the polling shows that. But they need to ambush Trump to like make it that Biden is better than what they're what they've done to Trump, which is this constant drumbeat of lies and corruption about, you know, just lies about what what Trump was accused of and his, quote, crimes. And I think you're right. I mean, there's 30 percent of the country that probably believes that Russia literally changed votes during the 2016 election. And that's why Donald Trump win won. I, I think that. And so that is what they're trying. <clears throat> that is what they're trying to do. Well, at the same time, dissuading anybody from taking action and opposing the regime or being a political opponent on anything. And, you know, basically setting it up so that the Republicans can never have any power 
at any point. And they basically have that now, except for the Supreme Court. And they're working on that. Um, it's a very scary time. So I, I, I agree with you, Julie. I think they're going to keep I think more people are going to join in and I think there's going to be more charges. And I think this is to punish people as a warning. And I think it is to try and damage Trump even more to make Biden look good, assuming that he is going to remain the candidate, which it's hard to believe, but that seems like what their play is. They have to so, get rid of him. Yeah. So we'll just see, but there was something interesting. They were saying, you know, if Jack Smith and Fannie Willis, now she is calling for a March trial date. If Jack Smith and Fannie Willis stick to their guns, which they won't, um, you would have Trump on trial for January 6th, the federal case in January, you'd have him on trial in March in the Georgia case, and then you'd have him on trial in May in Southern Florida on the classified documents case. Crazy. Right. And and also, I think another thing is they are depleting him of money, right? So the lawyers, his lawyers are not cheap and Trump is not a dummy. So he's not spending his own billions or millions of dollars on his attorney's fees. So people are donating money to um, his legal defense. And that's money that's not going to his campaign for him to spend doing things like combating the election corruption that are is on the ground in all of these, not all of these states, in the swing states, right? In states like Georgia, Arizona, Wisconsin, Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Nevada. So, I mean, there's definitely a lot of different things going on, going on here. So Trump's defense has to be very, very, very expensive. Very no expensive doubt. because he's also picking up um, the lawyer's fees for his two co-defendants, the Trump Organization employees who were also charged for allegedly destroying, trying to destroy video evidence, even though they've got three years worth of security footage from inside Mar-a-Lago. So it didn't happen. Um, but anyway, uh, and that case is that case is really one to watch, Liz. I know we're fixated on January 6th and the election stuff. But this classified documents case is so weak and you see how Jack Smith is already playing games, um, not just by conducting the entire investigation in D.C., moving it to Southern Florida at the last minute to get the indictment. Um, but now he's um, asking the judge to impose very strict its classified information protective act of how these alleged classified documents can be viewed. Um, he has argued that. Donald Trump shouldn't even be able to view some of the think about this. They want to keep from Donald Trump records produced during his own presidency because he's a threat to national security, had his own records securely protected at a home that is also protected, not just by private security and cameras, but the Secret Service. And they want to force Donald Trump to go to a secure a skiff, a secure location outside of Mar-a-Lago to look at the alleged to look at the evidence against him. And he has to have a defense attorney or someone from his team there as well. So this is a way, a tactic to continue to delay that case. But now uh, Jack Smith has come back for two of the co-defendants and asked the judge for what's called a Garcia hearing, saying that the lawyers, and you know how hard it is for these guys to find anyone who will represent them, the two law the lawyers who are representing his two co-defendants are conflicted because they're also representing people, individuals who might be called as witnesses in that case. So that's how messy that's getting. I would not be surprised 
we're waiting for Trump's lawyers to do something in either case, file some motion to dismiss or in D.C., a change of venue motion. I don't know why they didn't have that ready to go like two days after he was indicted. But if they file a grand jury abuse motion, which they suggested that they will, or just to dis- dismiss the case entirely, there's a good chance that Judge Aileen Cannon could do that. And that would be a big blow to Jack Smith. Although at the end of the day, I think he probably wants it that way. <laughs> he wants the case thrown out because it's so weak. Um, but so that's that's where we are with that. Um, Liz, what's the latest? I see some breaking news coming out from the Oversight Committee. But what's the latest with... Um, with the Hunter Biden that seems to be getting messy with the lawyers and and uh, what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, the whole Hunter Biden after the plea deal fell apart, it's really like a bit of a dumpster fire with um, the DOJ pointing at Hunter's lawyers, Hunter's lawyers pointing at the DOJ, blaming like, why did the deal fall apart? So that was going on. His lawyer, one of his lawyers um, moved to, to be removed from the case. I guess he's mad about the plea deal falling through. And I say plea deal generously. Um, But really the latest, John Solomon just broke a story from the House Oversight Committee, maybe not less than five minutes before we started taping our show, which is that, um, and you're going to, everyone will get a kick out of this. Uh, So the committee had subpoenaed the National Archive and got some emails turned over. And one of the emails was from a White House staffer who emailed um, Joe Biden on a private email account. This was in 2016. So not jbiden at whitehouse.gov, right? But some another name. The name, by the way, is um, Robert L. Peters. I thought it was going to be Pierre Delecto. But no, his email was, the fake name was Robert L. Peters, probably at aol.com or something. And they the email was setting up a call <laughs> between the president of Ukraine, President Poroshenko and Hunter Biden was copied on it. So Joe Biden was going to have a me- meeting with or a call with the Ukrainian president and copied Hunter on it. Why? Why would that ever happen? I mean, <laughs> that is absolutely insane. So now the House Oversight Committee is, has subpoenaed every email from, I think they probably got this inadvertently. Um, this is how we found out. I can't remember. You you will probably remember this case too, Julie. Back under Obama, the EP, the head of the EPA, they were all using fake emails that weren't whitehouse.gov or, you know, EOS or executive office or um, right. their agency emails like Hillary Clinton, right? Again, not mm-hmm. using government email, which is archived, you know, required by law to archive. They were using fake email address to conduct business. So they were, you know, there could be no oversight. So that's a similar thing here. So Joe Biden also using a fake email address to set up a meeting with a call with Poroshenko, who was at the time the president of the Ukraine and copied Hunter Biden. So now the oversight committee is asking for all emails in the National Archive that are for a Robert L. Peters. So this seems pretty damning. Um, if you want to see the um, the actual text of the email was this. Here's the text. Boss, 8.45 a.m. prep for 9 a.m. phone call with President Poroshenko. Then we're off to Rhode Island for an infrastructure event and then Wilmington for UDEL commencement. The staffer wrote then, B- Vice President, Nate will have your draft remarks delivered later tonight. 
or with your press clippings in the morning. And Hunter was copied on that email. Now, I'm sorry, but Hunter should not be copied on any official business email. And the fact that it's on, you know, not on an actual government server that's archived, it's so sketchy. Now, what will happen with this? Nothing. I mean, it doesn't matter if they find an email from Robert L. Peters saying, hey, Hunter, can you deposit that check for the Ukrainians <laughs> into my bank account? Right. Still nothing. Nothing's going to happen or, you know, whatever. It's just kind of it's kind of city it's, it's crazy, uh, just crazy making. So that is the latest. I mean, again, I think we're getting to a point now where when we contrast the Trump um the, the Trump invest investigations and the Biden and the way that these agencies are handling these two cases so very differently. It's just really bad for the country. I know I say this every show, but I mean, as a as a spectator and someone who wanted to think that we have a fair system, it's I mean, I don't know. I don't know what more they need on Joe and Hunter for to get get these people put in jail for influence peddling and for Biden for just corruption. I don't know. Well, this is what, you know, I know you and I've generally been against an impeachment inquiry, but there, some people are making a pretty strong argument that this is the only way, obviously to your point, even if NARA turns over these documents, which they probably won't, um, even though they've turned over everything uh, and, you know, and they were the agency who made the criminal referral to DOJ and FBI to investigate Trump because they claimed that they saw classified records in the 15 boxes that Trump very stupidly gave to NARA. Um, that even if they do produce these records, to your point, then what? So there's only le- the only thing left, the only option left is public accountability, right? A full vetting because most Americans are not following this like like we are. So if they did do an impeachment inquiry and they got all of this information and they forced NARA or whoever to come testify and produce these records under subpoena and read them to the American people, then first of all, how can the corporate media continue to ignore it? I mean, they'll try. They're giving a really weak effort now to ask him questions as Joe Biden, you know, like stiffly tries to run run away on the White House lawn to his chopper where he goes, you know, to his Delaware Beach House or where's he going this week, Liz? Lake Tahoe or somewhere? Um, No, he's he's uh, at some point he's going to Maui, I think, on Monday. Um, Mm -hmm. But he's at Camp David, I believe he's at Camp David going to Camp David today. Well, I mean, he did have a full week returning from his beach house. He did have lunch with Kamala Harris and then gave a speech yesterday for like an hour. So he's he's pretty worn out. Well, that lunch with Kamala that I alone. Mean, I mean, let's be honest. That that's that's a rough ride. Do you think they really the had lunch, or do you think that's no. just bullshit on the schedule? How could they two of them have lunch? I think he gets like applesauce and an insure shake with like a straw in it, and <laughs> I don't even know what she eats. I, I I can't imagine what that lunch is like. I mean, they probably they. I mean, what they say they do publicly and what they actually do, it's hard to believe. Um. But, yeah, so Biden is not a busy man uh, doing things. And he's obviously he's not really 
<clears throat> he's not campaigning in the sense that like Trump is having rallies. Biden is campaigning in the sense that he's doing fundraisers. I see as he's out doing fundraising at events like Democrat Party events, but he's not like there's not going to be a big rally for Biden. But let's go back to the impeachment thing, because I just find this very interesting. Yes. I, I, I still don't think that the Republicans should impeach Biden. I think okay. it's distracting. OK, it's going to be Republicans are focused on this one, the impeachment, which is going to be a big spectacle. I don't think the media is going to cover it fairly because they never do. So we can't assume that just because the Republicans are doing something, that this is a way to get information to people that don't know it and are interested. For sure. Um, yes. Absolutely. You know, who's going to watch the Joe Biden impeachment hearing? Liz and Julie. OK, that's who's going to watch those people and happy hour listeners. OK, that's who's going to those are the kinds of people that are going to watch impeachment hearing. The average person who just isn't super politically engaged, but gets their politics more, more by osmosis, whether it appears on your stupid fashion site or, you know, ESPN or, you know, not in an overt way. The view. Right. Right. The view, the view or some stupid show that's p political now, like the Sex in the City reboot, which is awful. Um, you know, things like that. So those people are not going to watch the impeach. They're not going to that information isn't going to get to the people who need to know that information. It's just not. The media is not going to break down and be like, oh, yeah, you know what? You're right. This is really bad. No, they they knew it. They, they've known it from the beginning. I mean, they they and they haven't lifted a finger to get more information about it. And and we all know they have a ton more resources than like a Julie Kelly or adjust the news or a daily caller or a federalist or an American greatness or real clear, you know, so right. they haven't lifted a finger. So they're never going to cover this fairly. They're going to say that it's retribution for Trump, which is what the Democrats are going to say. MAGA Republicans or what is it? Extreme MAGA Republicans. Is that? Yes. <clears throat> Is yes, that what true. they call it? That's how it's going to be framed. So this information is not going to get to the people who don't know it but need to know it. And in that case, let the Republicans continue with their committee stuff and let the Democrats deal with getting rid of Joe Biden as their nominee. Let them do that. That's Well, that's I guess my true, but in an, an impeachment inquiry and even an impeachment vote. So you had you have the inquiry, which we saw with Trump, right, in 2019 over the perfect phone call. And then you have the actual impeachment committee, I mean, the impeachment process, and then the vote. So I think the argument is, well, if we do the impeachment inquiry, it's fact finding, we present it to the American people, we compel these um agencies to turn over these records and documents that they've been hiding or concealing. We call people to publicly testify like Hunter Biden, maybe Joe Biden. I mean, they said that they were going to subpoena him so they could do an inquiry and then vote to impeach him. Some Republicans may not vote to impeach him. That would be, you know, a, you know, kind of a disaster for Republican leadership. Yeah. But even if yeah. they did, it gets to the Senate, it's DOA, right? Just like it was with Trump both times. Um, so I, I don't know. I'm, I'm at the point now where I'm sort of torn because I think the Republicans made such a huge mistake not doing the same sort of thing with Russiagate. You know, you had Devin Nunes. He was the only one out there fighting, leading a chairman of the House Intelligence Committee. But there wasn't this full blown investigation 
you know, impeaching certain people, Andrew McCabe, they could have started impeachment proceedings against Jim Comey right away. Um, all of those things that, that could have happened that didn't, even Rod Rosen, Rosenstein, you go through the whole list of, say, people who signed up on the four FISA applications. They could have gone after those people full force, but they didn't. So, and that's why the American people, oh, gee, all of a sudden they're shocked to learn Russia collusion is a Democrat, you know, or, organized hoax. So, I, I, yeah, but I don't why know. would you think that this would be done any better than the failure of the Republicans to actually do a proper accounting and hold people accountable for the Russia collusion hoax? Um, <clears throat> I know. No, it's when, a legitimate question. It is. But I mean, uh, here's my here's what I would say. Have they learned their lesson? You know, have do they have egg on no. their face? Jim Jordan and people like that who talked a big game and still does, but um, never pulled the trigger. James Comer seems a little bit more, oh, a lot more aggressive on this. Um, but the question he's is, as where would aggressive as he's as aggressive as Kevin McCarthy will let him be. And I all due respect to James Comer because he's I mean, he's the goat. I mean, he is doing a great yeah. job with yes. what he has. However, let's remember about what happened when the Republicans took over the House and they were setting up their January 6th investigation oversight. And Kevin McCarthy, and it had like no staff. There was like no staff to do it. I mean, at, at the end of the day, at the push comes to shove, you know, you, you have Jordan, who's like a like a talking head. You know, he wants to go on Fox and, you know, w wag his finger and talk big. And Comer, who who is doing stuff, they can only do as much as McCarthy lets them. And they are in those positions because McCarthy has an understanding with them. And you know that the people looking at the um, weaponization of government subcommittees are grossly understaffed. The Democrats had like 100 lawyers working on their January 6th all-star primetime, you know, movie of the week bullshit. And the oversight weaponization committee has far, far, far less staff really working on that. So I'm skeptical that this is just going to be Another example of Benghazi where it's going to be performative and then they're going to say, well, look, you did. You had your investigation into in Joe. You had your investigation and the Senate didn't convict or they're not really going to get a lot of, of information. Plus, now we have the added wrinkle in an investigation, which is that Merrick Garland has made David Weiss a special counsel. So now getting these agencies to cooperate yeah. is going to be a problem because they're going to say, oh, well, we're, we're, there's an active investigation, so we can't share information with you. And that was, of course, the main reason that he did that is to put a stop to the bleeding. So now every agency who's already predisposed to not cooperate, right, they have an excuse not to cooperate. So I'm skeptical. And again, at, other than transmitting information to a public who 30 percent of whom are just batshit stupid and the other part, 40 percent already are following everything that other than getting information out, there will be no other consequence to it. You can't refer any anyone to the DOJ for prosecution because that that's not going to happen. So then what's you know, what's the point? That's my argument. I know I'm not I'm I'm convinced for now, but I'm not I'm not, you know, digging my heels in. Uh, that's not the hill I'm going to die on, but that's my feeling at this point.
So, you know, people need to go to jail, just like they're putting, trying to put us in jail, our people in jail, if you will, our people. They are. I mean, they are putting them and they continue to. So, right. That's not stopping. So, all right. Well, we'll see how this continues to unfold. Speaking of Maui, such a horrific tragedy um, to see what happened there. But uh, it, it's looking like most disasters, uh, as bad as the natural component is, the human aspect of it really led to the, the tragedy there and how it was handled by so-called disaster officials who had no disaster experience, it looks like, and held off using water. Is that true, Liz? Oh. Just- um, well, I'll tell you, um, to no surprise for you and any listener happy hour, smart listeners. Uh, the Wall Street Journal had a really great piece yesterday, a very long investigative piece talking about exactly what went on in Hawaii. And e- even before the disaster response was so poor, the Hawaiian Electric, which is the you know company responsible, the utility responsible for uh, you know the utilities on Hawaii, they knew that they had a problem with their infrastructure. And they knew there was a wildfire threat. You know, it's hot and that happens. California has lots of fires because it gets hot in certain places and they never remove their brush because they're enviro freaks. So they just let it build up. So it's tinder rating to, you know, burn down acres and acres and acres of land. Well, in Hawaii, they knew that they had a problem. They had had a problem with their electrical lines in the past, going back to even 2019. However, instead of fixing their infrastructure and tightening it up and making sure that things were um, in better shape, especially because, again, there is a wildfire risk, they were much more concerned with what? Wait for it. Wait for it. Green energy. Green energy. There you go. Instead of, again, building up their infrastructure, they let it go to pot and there's videos showing the initial kind of like spark where you could see the lines were sparking up. It's a recipe for disaster. It's terrible. Now, the and then of course you had a terrible response of people who were not prepared to respond to what was going on. Apparently there was not even a warning. Like there were no, there's supposed to be warning of like uh, horns, like warning signs, sounds, warning people. And they didn't even get that. And this is just, it's a terrible tragedy that it was completely avoidable. And the media, of course, as predicted, is talking about how this is climate change. It's not climate change. You know, it's not climate change. We're going to keep hearing about how this is climate change and we we need renewable energy, but it isn't. It's human error. It's, it's the decision to ignore reality and and solidify the infrastructure in favor of a polluted correct you know green energy garbage which you know so sad is a a joke because you know we don't have any viable green energy solutions right now so we should focus on you know building up and strengthening the current way we get energy in this country so it's terrible there's over 100 people are dead i mean the whole town is just ashes it's sickening it's sickening. I wish, I hope there's, can be lawsuits. I mean, I, that's, that's, <laughs> that's all I can say. I, I don't even know what, you know, how to respond, except to say, I hope the city, the state and whoever these companies, these utility companies, which are kind of public private entities 
are just sued out of existence. I, I don't, I can't imagine the pictures are heartbreaking. What do you, what are your thoughts, Julie? Just horrible, horrific um, to see, you know, that beautiful place burn like it did know that there's so much human error and this, this just destructive uh, fealty to climate change um, and, and the real world consequences of it. So to your point, yeah, I hope someone is held accountable, but um, I guess Joe Biden has been asked a few times to give a statement or answer at least reporter questions. I think at one point he openly laughed that he had nothing to say. Funny. And how many how many people are dead? At least 100. Over 100. Over 100. Now. And they're expecting that death toll to rise. Yeah. Because, of course, it's hard to locate people who burn to death or drown when they ran into the ocean to try to save themselves. Uh, but the fact that he has done and said nothing. And then Barack Obama, who is from Hawaii, finally, after a few days, he gave some sort of statement. Um, so it's just, you know, it, watching Joe Biden respond to something like that just proves again, not only is he a terrible president, not only is he totally corrupt, not only is he a terrible father, he is just a terrible person. I mean, I think he is the worst human being to ever occupy the Oval Office, and that's saying a lot. He is just a heartless, cruel, mean, angry, corrupt, lying person. It, he is finally going to Maui on Monday. I think I read that he was going to be going. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he's going to do. You know what he's going to say? I commiserate my son, Bo. He died. He also Bo died, died in, in a fire, fire too. On Hawaii. He burned to death. Right. <laughs> he came. Did you know he came home in a flag draped coffin from Lahaina and in Maui after he was burned to death um, with a brain I mean, tumor? You can't it, because what happened to Bo Biden is horrible. It was a horrible thing that happened to him. But we're kind of laughing, not obviously because of what happened to him, but the way that Joe Biden routinely exploits his own son's death Um which sort of also brings us to the two-year anniversary of his deadly um, escape from withdrawal of, from Afghanistan. Yeah. And hearing what those parents had to tolerate from Joe Biden as Awful. they are grieving, you know, this terrorist, the killing of their child. And instead of Joe Biden being a human being with some measure of compassion, continually brought up the death of his son, Bo, and lying that he was killed in action, which, of course, it depends. He's killed in action. He died from the mud pits or something. Like, it's just burn extremely – Burn pits. Ex well, there you go. Burn pits. So he could say, I understand the burning. My son was burned son, alive, too. <laughs> my son died from a burn pit. What? So – it, it. I mean, you have to laugh because it's so – as a parent, you can't imagine – exploiting your own child's death and using it to make a situation about yourself, which he always does. It has nothing to do with Bo. It's to get sympathy for himself. So he's just a sick, twisted MFR. Um, but yeah, I mean, just know. as a rule, like in life in general, like when you are in a situation where somebody is grieving over a death of family member, a friend, a loss of any kind, the, the one thing you don't want to do is say, is try and one up them in your grief, right? Yeah. To say, I know right. you had a miscarriage, but I also had a miscarriage. No, 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 no. That's right. <laughs> you do not, you do not say that. The, 
these events, these, these times are all about the person and not you. And so you do not try and one up them in their grief and say, oh, I know you lost your son in Afghanistan because of my shitty withdrawal and hasty and unplanned uh, and negligent withdrawal. But I also lost my son. I, I can't believe the parents didn't slap his face, to be honest oh, with you. You could tell a few of the parents. I mean, there was one mother um, who just – she was fuming, and I guess the husband was about to say something, and she stopped. I would have knocked him out. I mean, seriously. You're sitting there. Not only is he talking about his son, you're responsible for the death of my child. And now you're sitting here instead of apologizing, and we're going to find out what happened, and it's – you're talking about yourself and your own son. You you are responsible for the death of my child. It's not even just like it was a random tragedy. He's responsible. So I well, encourage didn't they people. Refuse, didn't they refuse to like go after the sniper? Like, didn't they refuse to take action to stop? Yeah, I know the, there's a, there's a new book out. Um, yeah. About that, Jerry Dunleavy and um, who else? Uh, that James something twenty on Twitter. I can't remember his. His, his full name, but yeah, Jerry Dunleavy from, I think he's at the examiner. Yes. Um, he does some good stuff every now and then, um, it's on the <laughs> Afghanistan. Well, you know, he's, I know a little, he's a little cocky, he's a but, he's a um, right. he's a good investigative journalist. So I would really want to read the book. And one of the things I think they said is that there was an opportunity to like stop the bombing but they they just didn't do it. Just like right. the you know because Obama changed the rules of engagement in war, and I don't know if Trump changed them back, but I'm sure Biden changed them back to Obama's, which is basically you can't you can't shoot or stop anybody who's trying to kill you until they start firing shots or launching RPGs right at you. Right. You know, there's a, we lost we've lost a lot of troops because we can't like take out people who are getting ready to kill us because we right. have to wait for them to we have to wait for them to literally. Take an action and and try and kill us first, um, which is disgusting. So yes, Joe Biden is a horrible human being, and I I I think that the staff at the White House, you know, we have there's a fair amount of people that work in the White House that work in the institution of the White House. They're not political appointees; they're just careerists, and they work on just the continuity of the White House. And I know that they brief the presidents on these kinds of things. And even on etiquette, you know, they're they're briefed on all this stuff. And I mean, either Joe Biden fell asleep during his briefing since he's not human and wouldn't naturally know to be sympathetic and understanding and listening, um, but instead would make it about him. I mean, he he just ignored he just ignored his whatever briefing he got. And he was like, hey, I'm going to talk about myself. Right. Uh, my, my son is not a drug addict. Uh, <laughs> you know, just really just gross all around. There's a video of, I think Dara Issa held an event, a press conference in California for the parents of these um, true, our, our military, our heroes who uh, were killed. And they got an opportunity to really talk about what, how the Biden administration, there's no contact, no follow-up, no nothing. Basically, they just ignored them because it's, you know, inconvenient to the narrative uh, that, they're selling, which is that we got out of Afghanistan, it was a success, or that it was Trump who wanted to get out of Afghanistan, um, ignoring the fact that it wasn't Trump who wanted to get out of Afghanistan like this. So a lot of people think that, oh, well, Trump wanted to get out of Afghanistan. It was Trump. Well, he didn't want to get out of it like a dumpster fire. That was all Biden. So That's right. 
Well, I think that wraps up our happy hour. So fast. Yes. Well. Oh my gosh. So, Julie, are we going to be here next week? Next week. Yes, we will. Okay. We will be here next week. We're going to be here next week. So stay tuned. Listen, share, tell your friends to listen, tweet at us. We love that. <clears throat> we love it when you talk about how smart we are. And uh, so tweet tweet at us. Subscribe if you haven't on Apple iTunes. Give us five stars. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to Happy Hour with Julie and Liz. We'll see you next week. Bye.